So we've been talking about what we might label uh, some popular teachings. Popular teachings, you might see these if you pick up, uh, turn on the internet or television, maybe even on the radio you might hear these things. Uh, we're looking at trying to look at the world through a lens of having all the scriptures and not just one small piece. What happens is things get out of focus. One time I had a shotgun in my hands and I was about ready to fire it and I had fired this shotgun for many many years and I pulled up the shotgun and if you know anything about a long uh, gun of any sort there's a rear sight and there's a front sight on it and then you look at your target well something must have been broke when I picked up my gun and looked out because everything was fuzzy <laughs> something maybe my eyes are broken <laughs> I think I was getting a little older one day and as I picked it up I looked and it was very difficult for me suddenly to focus on the back and the front and what was way out that I was trying to aim my gun at. And if you can't keep every piece of that all in focus, the front, the back, and the target, you're not going to hit it. And I didn't, okay? <laughs> I missed it. And it ran away. <laughs> So there is a temptation to do this in Scripture, all right? And the temptation is to pick one small Scripture out, one Scripture, or even a phrase in a piece of Scripture, and let it become popular. Someone takes it and says, oh, we've never seen this before, and we pick it out and pick it to pieces and go over it. And they write books on it, and they write everything about it, but they forget to put it all in view. And I can stand there and look at the back part of my sights and look at the target, and if I don't pay attention and keep everything in focus, I will miss every time. Keep your eye on the target, what we are focused for, and use other references, okay? And that's what that, that is about, is using multiple references in Scripture uh, typically to get your understanding a little more full, a little more complete. And when we just pick one, we're never going to aim at the target. And we also, you can also say, well, look at this, and I'm going to look and not aim anywhere at a target, right? And I'm always going to miss. So keeping the target in focus and giving yourself those references puts it on every single time. So we want to use multiple scriptures always to help us understand more. Sometimes a translation maybe doesn't translate as clearly to us or something doesn't speak as clearly to us. And if it doesn't agree with the rest of scripture, then you're probably misunderstanding it. Because God gave a book with unity throughout it for you to understand. Lots of parts and pieces in that book. But unity throughout. And the main focus of the entire book, from Genesis to Revelation, is Jesus Christ. And if you say, well, I've never seen Jesus Christ in the book of Gen uh, Genesis, and you've never looked. 
because he's throughout every single book. The whole point of the Old Testament scripture is talking about the coming Messiah. And then the New Testament is he's here. And then at the end of the New Testament, he's coming again. All of that we call the gospel, right? Jesus Christ came to earth. He died, rose again, went to heaven, is coming again for those who believe in him. That's the gospel. And that is our target every time. That's what we live for. That is the biggest story that's ever hit humanity and will ever hit humanity. Okay? That is always keeping that in focus. So when we look at other things that our life runs against, if the target's always there and we look using other scriptures and say, is this okay? Am I still focused on the target or am I getting focused in on one little thing? Okay, that's, that's the danger is if we forget what we're here for, the purpose of our lives to spread the gospel of Christ. Okay, and oftentimes when you turn on the television, maybe the radio, maybe online somewhere, you might come across someone that has forgotten why we are here and has focused on something small. Okay. Something that's mentioned in scripture, but may not really be uh, the big focus of what we're supposed to be here for. So we went last week, we talked about healing. Healing is definitely a scriptural thing, okay? Healing can be done by God. God is, is very powerful, all powerful, can do it. But when the scripture uh, or when the scripture talks about many people being healed, but it does not talk about all people being healed all the time. So there's something else going on. Again, when we look back, we say, what's the focus? If we're focused on the gospel, then God has purpose behind everything. I have seen personally people healed. In my life, I have seen people healed, and I have seen people who have not been healed as well. And it is much easier uh, to understand if the target's always out there. And I'm always saying, okay, what is God doing? God's got a purpose. God's got an idea. God is doing something with that person's life. We don't know what oftentimes, even until the end of that person's life, and maybe sometimes beyond. We may have that question to say, I don't really know what. But someday when we stand before God, it will become obvious and he will and will look and say, now I understand. Sometimes it's given to us to understand these things and sometimes not. Healing is a great thing. And the Bible talks about a lot of different things about how you can reduce stress and things like that throughout. That was something that was talked about last week. You can look through the book of Proverbs and most of our stress comes from our mouth about how we treat other people. Right. We start it and then the stress comes back and we want to know why we're stressed. We can't shut our mouths. Oftentimes we get in trouble. Things dig in. We hurt people around us, and we oftentimes feel that coming back from us. 
or to us. Okay? Healing. Let's turn to Philippians chapter two, uh, chapter 2, verse number 25. Just as a reminder, because it helps us focus all these things in place, uh, why is healing sometimes happening and sometimes not? As one of those first things, uh, chapter 2 of Philippians, verse number 25. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi, and he is talking about uh, Epaphroditus, a, a fellow laborer. Chapter 2, verse 25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness. Because that you heard that he had been sick. So Epaphroditus was sick. He was supposed to go, but he was sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. He almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Paul is saying this. God chooses to do things sometimes. And with healing, God chooses to heal, and that is God's mercy. When God chooses to heal, it is God's mercy. And he said, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow if he didn't do that. So God chooses, and and healing comes from mercy. Not that God necessarily heals everything, like we said, but God does have a purpose. And his purpose... Right is the salvation of the world, the gospel. That's this purpose. So in the light of that, God is doing so many things in so many people's lives. He is touching you. He's getting people uh, to be interested in God sometimes just by being seeing that you might be sick and you might have a need by a friend that comes to you and says, how are you doing? That might be an opportunity. All right. All in the focus of the gospel, and, and things make more sense. All right? So that was last week's. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about something that they might call the prosperity gospel. Okay? Prosperity gospel. And uh, that is not a scriptural thing. Um, that is something that people have taken out, and they have said... Uh, some people have said, God will give you money and make you rich. That is the prosperity gospel. If you follow him close enough, he'll make you wealthy. Now, there are lots of scriptures that talk about a lot of things in the Bible. Okay. Is that a true biblical thing? Well, for centuries, people said, no, 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 Jesus was poor, right? Jesus was poor, and so we are going to take a vow of poverty. We are going to take a vow of poverty. And they did. People gave up everything they had. They sold things. They gave everything to the church. For hundreds and hundreds of years, they did this 
in hopes that that was the most uh, religious way to follow God. Is that true? Seems like it's a pretty tough thing to do, right? To give up everything you had and go and live with nothing. And there are people that would tell you that it is much easier to follow God if you're poor. Because you have to depend on God. Maybe there's a, a slight ring of truth to that. But that's not how the Bible approaches it. And that's where we're looking at one little thing and saying, Ooh, look at that. That's really good. We like that. We're going to focus on that. That's not the whole story in the Bible about wealth. There is much more to the story in the Bible about wealth. Uh, first, let's go to 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter number 8. This is where people get the idea. It's good to be poor. Okay? That's where they get the idea. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse number 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Okay? You could take that verse and you could say, well, Jesus was poor and gave up everything, so I should be poor and give up everything. And that is, okay, but that's not really what it's talking about. It's not necessarily talking about wealth, uh, riches, and poverty. It's talking about the grace of God. The grace of God drove Jesus to do this. It also says he was rich, right? And that you would be rich, okay? And so... I think it's talking about something else. And this, this is where the danger comes is if we focus on that one verse, and that is our whole entire focus. We forget the target, and we forget all the other things that are said. So let's put some things in perspective. The grace of God brought Jesus Christ to earth to save us. Yes, he gave up more riches than we'll ever see in this lifetime to do it. He also went back. To heaven. So maybe it's not about riches or poverty. Maybe it's about a motive behind it. Okay? So there's motive behind money. Oftentimes there's a motive behind money. I have seen and heard people that, are, uh, that don't have a lot of money and say, well, this is a virtue. It's a virtue that I'm poor. I think it's a virtue that you're poor. It's a virtue if you have virtues. Poverty is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. Okay? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Right? Those are some of the fruits of the Spirit. Not poverty or rich. Being rich. Okay? So let's, let's keep it all in perspective. Right? So also, how about ministers? Should they be paid or not? Your minister does not take any money. 1 Peter 5.2 Because this is a, a piece of the pie here. This is a piece of the picture. 
1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, and we'll look at ministers. Should they be paid? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, so in other words, don't be forced to do it, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. All right? Neither being lords over God's heritage, but being end samples to the flock. So it is not about, yes, you should pay him, or no, you shouldn't. But no, you shouldn't become a minister for a greedy reason. If you are becoming a minister because you think you'll get paid well, that's the wrong reason to do it. It doesn't say don't pay them. It doesn't say do pay them. It just says don't be greedy. Okay? So that's, that's your big thing is don't be greedy. As a minister or as a person, because what we're finding out is it is not the money itself, it's the motive behind the money. Whether you have a lot or a little, it's the motive behind the money that you have. If the main focus is the money, you should not be in ministry for that. That's a dangerous place to be. Get out. Right? Because you will stand before God someday for your motive. Not whether you are rich or poor, but your motive. So if you are, have the wrong motive, and that goes for anything we do. I mean, ultimately, God puts that in us to say, why are you doing this? What drives you to do this? 1 Timothy chapter 6. Going to give you a little bit of workout here. First Timothy, chapter number 6, verse number 6. Chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, or clothing, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into foolish, many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. All right? It does not say being rich is a sin. It doesn't say that. Be careful to look in there. And it says those that will be rich, if that is your focus, be careful. If that's what you are looking for, those that will be, I want that rich. I want those riches. And it says specifically, not money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. So it is, again, 
the motive, not the money. You can have money, you can have a little, and you can have a lot. And your attitude can be the same. It can be good about that money or bad about that money. So we have to put all these things in focus. Again, we do not want to love money. Okay? Not love money. Again, our focus back is we're given this money. What was our target again? Gospel. Right? So what are we doing with what we're given? That comes back to it every time. Now, what you will hear many times, you get on uh, online, on television, they'll say, you send us your money, right? Sounds a little fishy to begin with, right? You give us your money and we'll use it to preach the gospel over the whole world. Okay. Now there is an example out there um, that he's, he's a slick fella. And uh, he talks a lot about seed money. Okay. Maybe you know him. <laughs> I see a couple smiles out there. Right. He talks a lot about seeds. And isn't this a, a concept from the scripture that whatever you sow, you shall reap? Yes, absolutely. He says, sow your money my way, and God will give it back to you, right? But he says it much more cleverly and much more attractively than that. And he likes to get you to the point where you say, boy, this guy, he, he needs some help. He's doing God's work. He needs some help. I better send him a seed because God's going to make that flourish for me. Be careful, because what have we learned from keeping everything right in focus, we've learned it is not money. It is the love of money, the motive behind the money. That's the problem. So you can use the very same scriptures to say, what's happening here? Is there motive that's bad behind that or not? It seems odd uh, that sometimes these folks... Uh, and that, that gentleman's name is Mike Murdoch. You can, you can hear him all over online, television, and everything. And he's one of many, lots, many, many that have been doing for a long time. Okay? And if your focus comes off the gospel, first of all, your red flag goes up. And if it comes off the gospel in this church, your red flag should go up. Because you should be looking in the scripture to say, I don't think we're doing what we ought to do. But looking at the whole scripture, everything in focus to say, is that targeting where we're supposed to go? Are we serving the Lord in all of this? Are we spreading the gospel or is this just about money? You have to wonder. Some of those people that ask for your money... Flew in that place in a private jet and landed. Now, I'm not saying they can't have money. They can have whatever money they want. But if they're saying they need your money, maybe you should get a private jet too. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's between you and the Lord, right? And that's the whole thing about money. When you go back to motive, if you learn to live in a certain way, that's okay. Not all people that are in the ministry act like that. 
Okay? Billy Graham had a ministry many, many, many years. Took lots of money to do the things he did. But that was never his focus. And personally, he lived very modestly. He had a nice little home. I think it was North Carolina. He lived in the, in the hills, a spot where he could retreat to. And that's fine. He lived very modestly. And it was never a, hey, you give, you give to me, you give to me. It was, you come to God. That was his, say, you, you go to God, right? That's where you need to go. And then you let all the rest of the chips fall where they may. Right? You allow God to handle it. Sometimes there's a real need. And you will see some ministries get on and ask and ask and ask and ask for money. And other ones say, here's what we're trying to do. And then let it all happen. So you, it is your job to be wise in the scriptures, to learn and to say, what am I doing with the money? And what is he doing? And what is she doing with the money? Before I give what I need, I need to be wise about this, right? Does God really want me to give that? Does God really want me to do that? So here's the thing about wealth, right? Wealth, lots of people want wealth. Just like this, God chooses and has mercy on who he will give healing. He also chooses who will have wealth. Right? And you might say, man, I wish he'd choose me, right? <laughs> he chooses who has more and who has less. He chooses sometimes times in life you have more and less. You go throughout the Bible and you will see there are poor men in the Bible that believed in God, and there are wealthy men in the Bible that believed in God. Gideon was poor. Amos was a dirt farmer. Jesus was poor. John the Baptist was poor. Eating bugs, right? Living in camel skin. Abraham was one of the wealthiest men. And he stands with the poor men in the heroes of the faith who had faith in God. Job, one of the wealthiest men, lost it all and got it all back. That was his pathway that God gave him. Solomon, wealthiest man, wealthiest king, right, ever to live. So it is not about, it's independent. Having money, not having money is independent of your faith. Jesus does put a challenge out there and says this. And you say, I know a scripture that you missed. Right? It's easier for a rich man. It's easier for, the, for a, a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven. Ha! Gotcha. Right? And then what does it say after that? It says, but with God, anything is possible. And that's the truth about poor people too. Right? It was impossible for you to enter heaven if you were poor or rich. It didn't matter. But God says, you can't buy your way there. It's about faith. Right? So be wise with what you are given. And that's where we want to turn the focus a little bit. Look a little bit more. Go to Proverbs chapter 13. We've got three verses we're going to hit in the very same chapter. Proverbs chapter 13. These are great verses on the money you do have. If you got a dollar or you got 
$100 million is still wise, okay? Chapter 13, verse number 7. Proverbs 13, verse 7. There is that maketh himself rich, yet he hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet he hath great riches. So you make yourself rich, you're poor, you make yourself poor, you're rich. What does it mean? What it means is there is more valuable things in life than money. That's what it means. You cannot buy the most valuable things in life. Whether you have $100 million, you cannot buy it. Or you have a dollar, you cannot buy the most valuable things in life. Okay? That's what that means. So keep that in your mind at all times. Verse number 11 in the same chapter. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. But he that gathereth by labor shall increase. This is one of those laws that God put into place. If you work hard and save things, it pays off in the long run. You can say, well, I've been working hard and I'm not rich yet. And it doesn't say you're going to be rich, but it says it pays off. But if you think you can get things quick, it says that just as quickly goes away. By foolish living, it does not bring you wealth. Right? Just steady, hard work. Just like the Christian life. There's no quick ways for God to change you in life. It is a constant work and walk with God. And it's the hard work that gets it done in your life. And nope, it's not easy. And nope, you have to work a long time to get it. But the hard work and long payoff comes eventually over time. Okay? And verse number 18 is another good one too. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction. But he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. Foolish living and foolish spending of what you do have will not bring blessing. Be wise with what you do have, how much ever it is. Be wise with it. All right? Be careful and be wise. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. I told you we'd be all over the place here. Because it's good to get the full perspective. Again, there's a lot of things that can be said about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 6. And this wraps up the focus, where we should be focused here. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 6. But I say, or this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, and he hath given to the poor, and his righteous rema- righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. And so, it is in your purview, your amount that you own, what you have in control of you. You can say, well, I would give more if I had more. Maybe. Maybe not. Everything in this life, God is saying, I give this to you, and now I'm going to see what your motive is. We're going to look at other people's motives, yep, but now we're going to look at what's your motive. He says, if you're not going to give cheerfully, don't give it. Don't give grudgingly and say, there's one penny for you, and now I put the rest away. And I'm really angry, and you better spend that right. All right? Here's the rules with my giving to you. Be aware about giving cheerfully versus grudgingly or sparingly. And that's where God says, yes, if you want to give a lot, God says, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. It will come back to you. It may not be, hey, if I give a thousand bucks, it's coming back to me as a hundred thousand. That may not work like that. It may be something else. But didn't we already learn that there are much more valuable things than the dollars in your wallet? Okay? There are much more valuable things. And those things focus on that target of the gospel of Christ in this life. When you die, it won't matter how many dollars were in your wallet. It won't matter. God won't say, well, how many did you save? He won't care. He'll know. He'll say, now what what seeds did you plant? And here's what I gave back to you. 100 times, 50 times, 60 times that. 10 times over here. I made it increase. You gave this little, and I gave back. All right? So he won't owe you anything. But what is it that you're going to do? What's at your disposal today to give? Right? And God gives the blessing when you do that. And the blessing is much deeper than the dollars in your wallet. So finally, look at church here. And that's where we want to go to say, are we trying to do well? Well, there's been different decisions made over the years here. It's how we choose to do it. One of the focuses here is not to talk about money very much. We don't talk about it hardly at all. And we don't pass a plate in front of your face every day because we don't want that to be why you come to church or don't come to church. There's a box in the back, and that's between you and God. Not between me and you, and it's not for your neighbor to see because 
That's not why we're here. We come here to worship. We come here to learn about the Lord, get a little recharge, talk to those people around us that are our friends in the Lord, and go back out on our mission for the week. Right? That's the focus of what we're here to do. And so don't let anything else become that focus. Don't let anything else worry about that. Focus on that. There's an old song. Brethren, we have come to worship and adore the Lord's most, uh, the Lord most high. Brethren, pray with all your power while we try to preach the word. All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy Ghost comes down. Brethren, pray and holy manna shall be gathered all around. Focus on that. Focus on what we're here for. Forget the rest of it. Don't worry about, well, if I give my 300 bucks to this guy, he told me if I have faith, I'm going to get it back with a whole lot more. That's not what he's talking about. That's not at all what he's talking about. He says, here's what you got. Here's what I gave you. A little bit or a lot. Now what are you doing with it? Focus on the Lord with it. We have times of need. We've had times of need in this church. And we've had times of plenty. It may not always be times of plenty in the future. But that won't matter. Right? Because we'll be focused on the right thing. We've had times where we didn't have the land that we needed to do things. And times that we did. And God says, now it's the right time. God gave us a parking lot and got it all set the year before we needed to use it for church. And all the rest of the time he protected us. All the way up to then, which is what we needed. Right? He didn't give us less. He gave us more. Way back when, years ago, when we very first year we ever got this building, there was a mortgage and we didn't have any money. All 13, 14, 15 uh, families that made this up. Probably wasn't even that many. We could barely make a mortgage payment of $100 a month because we had no money to start with. And what we promised at the end of a year, we'll give a $5,000 payment, which we didn't have either. And we didn't know how to do it. But one time, and it was the uh, one of a very few times that, he, that my father ever stood up at the pulpit and said, we're going to need to make a payment at the end of the year. That's what we're going to need. If you have God lay something on your heart, you write a little pledge, write a little note. I'm going to give this money for the end of the year. And he did that, and he opened up the box, and he pulled out the first paper, and it said $1,000 on it. And he folded it back up, and he threw the rest out. Because it didn't matter. God was going to do it. Right? Didn't even have to open the first one. God is going to give us what we need, when we need, how we need it. Let's look at our motives all the time. What are we doing with it always? And there was an old man, George Mueller. He ran an uh, orphanage. And he had oftentimes very, very slim pickings as far as what he could get. And he sat down the kids at the table. And the one time uh, he fed them every day because he had to. One time there was no food. And the people said, we have nothing to put on the table. And he said, sit them down. 
at the table. He had no plan, but he trusted God would do something. Don't know what, don't know how, don't know when. And they said, okay, we set them all down. We don't have any food. And he said, okay, well, let's pray and be grateful for the food we got. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> and so I'm sure the prayer was a little longer. And all of a sudden, knock, knock, knock on the door. The local baker, I made way too much this morning. Can't sell it all. Can you use it? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Another time, a milk truck broke down outside of where he was. You think God can't provide? He can provide. Remember, it's not about the dollars and the cents. It's not about the money. Sometimes he wants you to say, I trust you. Whatever it is, I trust you. I don't see it. I can't see the money in front of me, but I trust you. We're going to leave it to you. So that's the money. That's, that's the, the motive to have behind the money is trust God for, for what we need. And don't worry about trying to get a bunch to make it easier. Just say, whatever you've given me, God, make sure I'm giving the way I need to give to whom God says. And I'm not saying to give that to me. I'm saying you give it to who God says give it to. You look, there may be a friend, a neighbor, uh, a a waitress that needs a bigger tip one day. I don't know. Whatever it is God says, that's what you got in your wallet today. What are you going to do with it today? Right? And God says, do that. Look, don't, don't love it. Use it. It's a tool I gave you. Use it. Okay? So the prosperity gospel has really nothing to do with the gospel. Right? We have to watch out and look for greediness and be wise with what we have. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good day.